This episode of Pupil Pod is sponsored by Tarsus. Tarsus Pharmaceuticals applies proven science and new technology to revolutionize treatment for patients, starting with eye care. Tarsus is advancing its pipeline to address several diseases with high unmet need across a range of therapeutic categories, including eye care, dermatology, and infectious disease prevention. Tarsus is proud to announce that Xdemvi Lotolaner Ophthalmic Solution 0.25% is now available to prescribe. Welcome to the Pupil Pod, where we use clinical cases to guide discussions on board review topics. I'm your host, Scylla Ball, and my guest today is Dr. Sahar Bedrood. Dr. Bedrood is a glaucoma surgeon in Los Angeles, California. Dr. Bedrood, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me tonight. I am so excited to be part of this. We are so excited to have you, so let's jump right into the case. You are consulted by the emergency room, and Lorenzo, if you're listening, make sure that you call us for these cases to see a 45-year-old woman who presents with headache, nausea, and blurry vision. She also notices rainbow-colored halos around lights. On exam, you note a visual acuity of 20 over 100 in the right eye, IOP of 51 in the same eye, as well as conjunctival injection, a mid-dilated pupil, and a hazy cornea. Now, Dr. Bedrood, this is a classic ophthalmology console and a classic presentation for an eye complaint. How would you initially approach this patient? You know, if you're going into the ER and you see this, there's a moment where your heart races a little bit, and before you hit the panic button, and we all know what to do almost immediately, but before you hit that, I would recommend getting a good history because that will give you a lot of information. Some of the things that I will um, ask about, you know, is um, their medication use. So I'll ask if a patient um, is on something like Topamax or Topiramate or Dimox or um, anticholinergics or something that maybe tip them over the edge. Because when you look at this, you're thinking that this might actually be, you know, angle closure of some sort. Um, and so you have to look at that. You have to look at the patient's um, uh, anatomy, of course, but also their, their racial um, like a, the background. Are they of East Asian descent? Do they have a predisposition for angle closure for some reason? Have they had cataract surgery already or not? Are they diabetic? Um, you know, are we thinking about neovascular glaucoma? All of these things should be going down through your mind as you're talking to the patient. Um, so I, those are some of the things that I look at for history. Um, and then, of course, you're going to jump into the exam first, right? And the first thing you do is vision, which you got at 2100, so decreased vision. The pressure is remarkably high. A pressure of 51, really, it really is telling you this is complete closure. Um, so this isn't, this isn't like, you know, oh, a little chronic angle closure. This is, this is the real deal, acute angle closure. Um, so on exam, I'm going to, you know, if you want me to go through that, I, some of the things that I would go through front to back, 
look at the cornea, assess how hazy the cornea is, um, because that's really important as to what kind of treatment you're going to give them. And then you look at their, um, their AC. Um, I think that you see how shallow they are. If it's less than 2.5 millimeters, you can do that by Van Herrick if they're really shallow. I always do a gonioscopy. Sometimes their cornea is not very clear, so that's going to be really hard to do. But, um, you know, oftentimes you'll put it on there and it'll just confirm. Um, you're going to look at the uh, pupil and the status of the lens. Um, if it's mid-dilated, you can usually see how cloudy the lens is, whether this is, is there like a phacomorphic component to it, or if this is purely angle closure. Um, and then uh, let's see, I mean, I think, you know, looking at all that, of course, you do the gonioscopy. And then there's this thing that I was taught in fellowship to look at to when you put the gonioscopy lens on the eye, you actually have to push the lens in. And that's called dynamic gonioscopy. And why is that important? Well, if you push the lens in, and if you do this in a very normal eye that's not hazy, that you know you can see through, you're able to actually push fluid um, and open up the iris and see if you can see that trabecular mesh work. That implies some hope in sight. That implies that if you put an LPI, that the LPI will maybe help um, allow the iris to fall back and allow a little bit more fluid. Um, so that's called dynamic. So I always know, you know, on gonioscopy, if something is closed, whether it's open on dynamic. And then and then if it's synechiae versus appositional. So appositional closure means that it opens up when I push in. Synechial closure means this thing is closed. It's not going to open up. The iris is pretty much right next to the trabecular meshwork. And I would take a guess that a patient with a pressure of 51 is probably synecked and it's probably completely closed because that those are really high pressures. Um, so those are some of the things that I would I would think about. Going a little bit more into the high pressures, what are some of the effects of acutely elevated IOP in these patients before we jump into the treatment aspect of these patients? Yeah. So when you're looking at a pressure of 51, um, you know, really anything 45 and up, you're really at risk for uh, vascular issues and vascular occlusions. So that's something that that is, that's why you really need the pressure down. This is not something that can wait a few hours or overnight. You know, if someone's pressures are a little bit lower, you, you can, you have some wiggle room. In this case, you don't because it, the pressure can be so constricting and it can actually occlude a vessel. Um, of course, you're looking at optic nerve damage as well. Like you don't want the patient. So the vascular occlusion can lead, hopefully not, but to like a CRAO or CRVO. And we just don't want any of that. Of course, that's devastating. But then if you sit on it um, and that doesn't happen, you, you can actually get optic nerve damage just in the same way that you would get with glaucoma. Um, ischemic nerve damage, uh, the high pressures can block off the, the vessels that are going to the nerve. So that's like an ischemic damage as well. Uh, so this is really serious. A lot of times patients with acute angle closure or um, it will have like pale nerves, even though they're not cupped out because of this like rapid ischemic event. Um, and then other things to think about is if that's, you know, if, if you can, if you can look at that, look at the PAS, look at the iris, um, sometimes it can become ischemic. 
Um, and then look at the glaucoma flecken, which is not just a really famous person on Twitter, um, but also <laughs> an actual an issue where your anterior subcapsular um, lens is opacified because of ischemia and constriction in that area. So you'll see that in classic angle closure. You may not see it right away, the corneas um, edematous, but you may see it a few days later. It's so important, all of the notes that you hit for our trainees to remember that even though these are considered bread and butter cases in ophthalmology, these are acute emergencies. That necrosis, that ischemia can risk the eye for good. So I think that it's really important to hammer in on those important points. But now switching gears back to the treatment aspect. How would you treat this patient acutely? And then we'll talk a little bit more about how you might treat a patient that comes in that's at risk before they get to this acute stage. Right. So this patient is an angle closure. Uh, and what you, what you need to do is basically get a laser peripheral iridotomy for them, an LPI. Uh, that should be your first and second thought for this patient. So Place them at the slit lamp. Um, sorry, at the laser. You know, put the lens on the eye and then and then shoot away. Now, here's the issue: these corneas usually are not clear. The eye is hot. The iris and the cornea are very very close together. These are difficult LPIs to do. Um, so oftentimes, you either need to clear the cornea somehow if it's really hazy. And some of the ways that you can think about doing that. Um, is I mean, you can, if you have glycerin in your facility, you can put glycerin, and then basically um, that kind of absorbs the the edematous fluid and and allows you to have some view to do the um, LPI. Sometimes I have actually done a paracentesis in these eyes just to like get this rapid reduction in pressure, and it clears of you enough. You do risk a little bit of everything coming forward when that happens, especially if this is a hyperopic eye and everything is kind of cramped in that space anyways. But in an emergency setting, you really need to be able to see, get a view um, and, and, and get, get the LPI through. If you can't get it through with a lens, then you're going to need to consider surgical iridectomy. Would you start topical IOP lowering drops in these patients too, just right away, as soon as you see the patient, just to have them on board? And any comments on how effective those drops are in these acute situations? Yes, absolutely. Actually, that should be the first thing. You see this patient and you have drops in hand. So you put them on maximum medical therapy. Usually it's going to be four different families, the prostaglandins, the beta blockers. You put them all on board. Um, I would absolutely give Diamox. This will give them a chance of just a little bit of recovery um, of the cornea so that the, the pressure comes down. You know, the LPI would be much more ideal if it's in a calm setting with a clear cornea. So your goal is to get to that point. So the topical medications will absolutely be kind of the first, first line really is that, then LPI. Um, and then, you know, we talked a little bit about the paracentesis um, you know, I, something I was also taught in fellowship was that, you know, if you do the paracentesis, the pressure goes right back up in 90 minutes. But something that my attending in fellowship saw is that sometimes for reasons unknown, it does jolt the eye to come down suddenly and the pressure to come down suddenly. 
And just um, in some patients, it takes them out of that like 50 to 60 range back down to 40, even if it comes back up to 40, but it may not go back up to 60. I mean, this is just based on like things I learned, you know, along the way. Um, so sometimes it's worth it to, to try that. That's very helpful to know. So if this patient, let's say they came into your clinic two months before this happened, but they had some of those warning signs that this might be in their future, how would you manage those patients? What would you look for? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, you know, when we look at primary angle closure, you know, you're looking at a patient who's a suspect. They're just walking in, right? They, they'll come in. I get narrow angle evaluations all the time. So what you have to do is do a number of tests. Like you have to actually find out if they actually have true glaucoma or not. So if they are, if they don't have any OCT findings, no RNFL nerve um, damage and no HVF uh, defects, then that patient is a suspect. They're not glaucoma. If they're glaucoma, you have to do an LPI. Um, but if they're a suspect, then it becomes a little bit more um, of a art as to how you're going to approach this. Uh, if a patient is a suspect and I do gonioscopy and I see trabecular meshwork in two quadrants or 180 degrees, then I, I am inclined to watch that patient. I don't absolutely need to do an LPI on them. I'll have a discussion with them. I'll tell them about the risk factors. And then I say, we can watch you. Um, or, you know, if they're also, especially if they're asymptomatic, no headaches, nothing. Um, but if they uh, have, if they can't, if I, if, I, if I can't see the actual um, terrecular meshwork, then they're, they're going to get an LPI. Um, and then, you know, things like dilating the patient, you know, I'm willing to do it in my office because I can do an LPI if they go into closures, but a lot of comprehensive ophthalmologists are not going to dilate these narrow angles. Um, and what I would say is that if you do happen to dilate them, then check their pressure afterwards because that can provoke an increase of IOP. Uh, so things I would do is ask the patient, do you get headaches? Um, One-sided. Do you, um, does there, is there any change in the way that your eye uh, feels when you're in the light versus the dark? Uh, just kind of provoking more dilation, does that change something? So these are all part of the discussion. And I like to be pretty conservative with preventative LPIs um, because, you know, you just, you know, recent trials have come out that you don't necessarily need it for every single patient with the ZAP trial. Um, but especially if they don't have glaucoma, there, there's some element of watching them that, that can happen. Um, but things like I said, pain, family history, high eye pressure, um, appositional closure, um, PAS for sure. I mean, all of these are signs that things are going on behind the scenes that we're not seeing. So if they're walking in with these things, the patient's going to get an LPI. And how do you counsel these patients? I know that you alluded to this a little bit when we were eliciting the history from our current patient. What are some of the medications you warn them about? What are some of the warning signs you have them come in for? Yeah, so if um, I'll, I will give them the, um, the kind of the counseling for acute angle closure, whether I do an LPI or not, to be honest with you, because it's not 100% safe, uh, foolproof rather. 
Um, but some of the things I tell them first off is if you ever have a, mo um, a period of time where you are, you have extreme unilateral or bilateral pain out of proportion to anything you've ever had, eye redness, blurry vision, halos in your vision, um, or headaches, uh, that are severe, then you need to come in immediately. Um, and they, you know, I say, this is not, this is not, it is not subtle. Like you will know that it is, it is, is serious and you'll want to come in to be seen. Other things are, you know, medications can provoke this. Is it super common? No, but it certainly can happen. Uh, cold and allergy medications, the anticholinergics. I've actually seen angle closure in a young patient on an antidepressant. So this happens. Um, and you, you do have to give them some advice about that, some counseling on it so that they're aware of it. Just a follow-up question for my own curiosity. If you had, say, that young patient that was on the antidepressant and you did an LPI, would you watch them keep them on the antidepressant? Would you switch classes? How do you manage with their psychiatrist or their primary care physician, their underlying depression care? Such an important uh, question because you know, your knee-jerk reaction is, well, you got to take them off the drop or you're sorry, you have to get, take them off the medication, but this is serious. I mean, this is mental health and you can't just take them off. So you do have to have a conversation. If they, if my, the one patient that I did have that had this, it was pretty severe. They actually were in like complete closure. So we did stop it, um, right that for that moment. I mean, for a period of time, did the LPI patient actually needed further surgery. And then I recall having a conversation with their psychiatrist to put them on a try to put them on a different family of drugs um, or other types of therapy if they can do, you know, other things. But um, but that's where you have to really, well, I like to call it doctoring up and make a phone call, a doctor to doctor phone call, because that is where um, things will fall through. And the patient, they may not think it's important, but if also they have serious depression, like they may not really be able to make the move to help themselves. So that's where we come in to, to help them and take a few moment, moments to call their primary doctor or their psychiatrist and um, help them through that. Such an important point because oftentimes, especially as ophthalmologists, I feel like we want a clear cut answer. We want to know what is the right choice. And I think you said this earlier today, you, it's much more of an art. It's a mix of an art and a science. And especially in that case that you're talking about, it really is an art and it really is that human aspect of being able to manage the whole patient and not just focusing on the eye. Circling back to our original patient, let's say that you were able to clear the cornea and you were able to perform an LPI. What kind of follow-up would you have for this patient and how would you counsel them specifically moving forward? Okay. So in an emergency setting, if I perform the LPI, I would want to keep them in the office or, you know, if they're in the ER, then, you know, keep them there, but you have to check back with them. I would do, you know, a Q1 hour check, like come back in an hour, check their pressure. If it really is successful and they are good, I keep them on all the glaucoma drops. I see them back the next day. Um, and then we reassess the situation again when the cornea is clear and everything is a little bit more mild. These patients who are narrow um, in this way really oftentimes may need cataract surgery, you know, or lens extraction, uh, depending on, of course, the status of the lens. 
but if they are really sneaked in that way, you also have to like understand or, or make sure that they don't have neovascular glaucoma. You know, this is where you like, okay, let's see, let's see what's going on with that. Um, and then, you know, you watch them. You, you, I don't really come off the, I will come off the Diamox to see where they're at because if they have to be on Diamox and this is a surgical patient. Um, so I would see them, keep them on their drops. And then sometimes the LPI is just enough too. So I also, it's customizing your care, uh, you know, in an, in an acute setting, you put them on everything and then gently back off, you know, visit by visit and see where it's at and then have a discussion if they need cataract surgery to further open up that angle. And of course, you, you know, once they're clear and they're calm, you really need to then assess how much damage they had from the actual pressure um, so you would do a visual field, an OCT, look at the other eye, do an LPI for the other eye as a preventative measure. That's so important. That's such an important point right at the end is to perform the LPI in the other eye because presumably there is some anatomic reason that this patient is in angle closure. As you mentioned earlier, lower axial length, shallow AC, all risk factors for the development of angle closure. Dr. Bedrood, thank you so much. That was such a helpful episode. This is something that we will all inevitably face at some point in our career. Before we end the episode, I ask all of my guests, if you could have dinner with one person from any time or place in the history of humanity, who would it be? Oh man, I thought about this question. I've been asked this question before and the answer is different every time, depending on my mood. Um, I have two answers, if I can give two. One is my kind of easy one. I, I always, I like love Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> like, I, I just want to have dinner with her. Like, is that a lot to ask for? I want to go in her garden and have like a nice dinner, just me and her. <laughs> That is such a good answer because I also love Oprah so much. My mom actually always, the claim to fame would be that when she went into labor with me, she was watching Oprah. So Oprah oh is was sacred to us. Totally. Yeah. I, I just, I just love her. I love her vibe. Um, but then the other question, like that's a little bit more sentimental is I think I would go back in time and have dinner with my childhood version of myself when you know you have dinner with your family and kind of like talk to that little girl because you, you see the journey after all these years of like what you've done and you see how your family life unfolds and I don't know just have a little conversation with her because I would really like to see what that little girl was actually thinking and talking about back then because I don't actually remember you know um so that's that's my sentimental answer that is such a beautiful answer. And I would actually, I mean, both, I think I said this to Oprah too, and I'm saying it now, but I truly mean it. I would love to do that as well. That That is an answer that I have not heard before. And that is really, really special. Dr. Bedrood, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really such a wonderful discussion. And thank you to those tuning in. Thank you so much for having me. What a fun thing. I wish I had this when I was a resident. Thank you. And thank you to those tuning in. See you next time on The Pupil Pod. Bye.